Hello and welcome to another episode of the Folklore Podcast. I'm Mark Norman, folklore researcher and author. The puka of Irish folklore is a shape-shifting fairy. It can take pretty much any form, but traditionally it's reported as a dark horse with a long flowing mane and bright eyes. There are many geographical features of the Irish landscape today whose name derives from this spirit and the folk tales attached to it. Recently, there's been controversy in the Irish media over a new statue of the Puka, commissioned by Clare County Council and intended to be sited at Ennis Diamond. You can see a picture of the piece on our website for this episode. It's been somewhat divisive, and it's brought celebrities such as Dara O'Brien and Chris O'Dowd to social media in support of the artist. There have also been plenty of voices in opposition. Joining me on the podcast today to discuss the folklore of the puka, and this particular interpretation of it, is the sculptor who was commissioned to make this new piece of art, Aidan Hart. Based in Dublin, Aidan studied classical sculpture and anatomy at the Florence Academy of Art, choosing a different career path after having created and directed the BAFTA-nominated Skunk Fu for Children's BBC and the Cartoon Network. So Aidan, thank you for uh, joining me on the Folklore Podcast and for getting in touch, in fact, because you, you came to me originally with this story um coincidentally at round about the same time as i happened to listen to an interview that you did with um the podcast which comes out of the national folklore archives in ireland um whose name i will not even try to pronounce because i know i will not do it correctly yeah i'd be i'd be a bit um wary of pronouncing myself my my irish is is pretty poor but it means the name means folklore um it's way to this I won't even risk it. But um it's it means folklore folklore fragments, um, basically. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it was and and the story um was was on there around about the same time you contacted me. So uh, let's move into that story by first if you just say a little bit about yourself and your background, your interest in folklore generally, but then particularly um what the story which we're going to explore today uh, means in terms of that. Yes. Um, well, I'm a I'm a, a practicing sculptor. I work in bronze sculpture, so I, I make it in clay and then get it cast in a foundry. Um, and I'd I'd make um, a couple of sculptures every year and put them into my gallery and try to sell them. And they'd be um, uh, uh, figures from my own imagination. So. Um, typically, a lot of the sculptures that I've done have been inspired by classical mythology um, and uh, Dante's Inferno, for example. And so that would be figures like um, the Minotaur, the Senator, um, creatures like that. And then recently, I um, I started looking more into my own um, the, the Irish national folklore. I mean, I've always been interested in it as a reader, but um uh, not, I haven't necessarily put her into visual artwork. So then I, um, this year I got uh, commissioned to make a, or rather uh, last year I got commissioned to make a sculpture for a small town in Ireland called Ennis, Ennis Diamond, which is in County Clare. It's in the, the, the west of the country. It's near the Burn or the Cliffs of Moher. It's a lovely part of the country. 
But um, it was for a little town called Ennis Diamond, and my proposal was to do a, a puka, who's a, a creature from Irish um, folklore, and he's a kind of um, mischievous shapeshifter. We, we can get into his uh, character later. But um, uh, the statue was a two-meter tall. Um, it was eventually going to be a bronze statue. So I met it in clay, and I was fine. The, the commissioners were very happy with it. And then on the cusp of getting a cast, um, uh, a controversy uh, exploded about it. Um, there was, um, uh, people got wind of it, and some people who didn't know what the, the puka was, um, they looked into it and got the idea that he's a, an evil spirit. Um, and, well, as you'll know, he, he's, he's, he's no Boy Scout, but he's not exactly an evil spirit either. But um, uh, people were kind of wary of it, there was also kind of uh, issues about the exact location of the, the sculpture. And it culminated with um, the, the parish priest of Ennis Diamond um, announcing it from the altar. And that kind of, even though that isn't the, the whole of the story, that obviously got the, the newspapers interested because that doesn't happen every day. And uh, so that was that was like May of, May of this year. And then um, since then, the project has been on pause. And it's kind of uh, taken on a life of its own, the controversy with people uh, pro and against. Um, and I've just I've just been in the middle of it, waiting, waiting it for di- to die down. But there seems to be no sign of it um, that happening. But uh, like there was there was a, a two folk songs written, written about it, one for one against and um, both very good. And uh, a guy wrote a short story about it. There was a. Uh, an unauthorized mural put up in the in the town about it. there was a, a fellow he dressed up as a Celtic druid outside the little town um, kind of protesting against it just a whole bunch of strange things happened about it it kind of caught people's imagination but I think the, the, the well the photograph which listeners might have seen you'll see it's quite an out, outlandish looking sculpture and that with the whole um culture war aspect of it i think caught people's imagination yeah, i mean the, the, yeah the media certainly has has um had a lot of fun with this story i suppose in some respects you know i've i've seen it described as i was saying to you before we started recording as as this whole thing as being an ideological war over this statue mm. now, that's maybe a little mm. bit extreme mm. um we'll, we'll look at that kind of pro and con argument in in just a moment because you know for for all the kind of amusement and and fun there is in a way about this argument you know for for you you're kind of stuck in the middle of this with a, a piece of art which you've gone to great pains to create and and you know you want to see put in place understandably that is a negative aspect to this there are positives though i suppose which is that this is really bringing Irish folklore front and centre in many ways and suddenly there's a lot of interest in a character which which perhaps in modern times we might have thought had been consigned to the rural historic past which is really not the case at all is it um just explain for people who are listening who perhaps are not knowledgeable about Irish law generally a little bit more about what the figure of the puka is and what he represents. Yeah, um, well, even to even to Irish people and even to Irish people au fait with um, Irish folklore, the the puka is is he's 
he's sort of um, fallen out of favour, if you know what I mean, because people, everybody would know the Leprechaun, the Banshee, um, the Fardaric and the, you know, the fairy host and that kind of thing. But the Puka would, I'd say his his um, his finest hour was the late 19th century, like everybody would have known. Him. And um, geographically in Ireland, you'll find place names. Um, very, it's very common for Pulnafuka, places like that, which have that um, have that uh, reference to the Puka. But a lot of people might just know the name of the place and not know where it's coming from. So the the Puka, he'd be um, he'd be kind of one of your trickster characters, like Bear Rabbit or the Spider or something. Um, who uh, he's he's associated with rural, rural areas very much. So um, he's a shapeshifter. That's um, that's 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 seen as characteristic in his tradition. Um, but like part of it, it, him being a shapeshifter is that in different parts of Ireland, just like we'll have, you know, a different style of folk music, you know, like a, a soft fiddle playing in Clare and an angry kind of fiddle playing in Donegal. In 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 the Puka stories, you'll get different kind of characteristics of the stories. Um, of the puka in where he appears. So in some in some stories he's um, quite malevolent, and in other stories he's more of a harmless trickster, kind of a, a, hu- a humorous uh, humorous character. Um, and so he's 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 reported to appear as um, a, a dog, a black dog, a horse, um, a, a pig, um, an eagle, um, a snail in some cases, all all sorts. And the word. Puka, like in Irish, um, although it does refer to this shapeshifter um, specifically, it's also a little bit of a generic word meaning uh, ghost. So you could, you know, you'll often find people saying puka and they just mean spirit or, or, or some kind of ghoul or something like that. And then also puka is a little bit like the word fairy. So you'd get, you'd have references in um, like in old folk accounts of people um, acting the puka, which is like you know, acting the fool or acting the maggot or something mm-hmm. like that, and so it's a, it's a little bit like that. That even people using the phrase, they might um, they might have very concrete ideas about his his characteristics, and I mean that's that's natural enough because he's a he's a shapeshifter. But what he what he does typically, the kind of unifying thread would be he waylays travelers. So if if somebody's traveling on a dark night, coming home from the the pub few jars, you know, um, uh, a little bit, uh, um, a, l- a little bit under the weather. And if they, if they, sometimes, you know, they'd be walking by a graveyard or um, across, a, across an old field and uh, they'd in- encounter the puka. And, you know, usually he's described as like a, a blazing, a, a horse, like a black horse with blazing, blazing red eyes, sometimes with chains, chains um, hanging off them. Um, and then he like offers them a, a lift home, and that can be a good or a bad thing because he typically whisks them away to fairyland, or in some cases the moon, or some outlandish adventures, or the, a king's court, or something like that. And depending on how they get along, they're either um, uh, they're either never heard of again, or they come home um, and they they've made their fortune because the book has left them with some gold or something. So it's it's it's. Like I mean, you probably can recognize that that form of story. It's in some cases, it's um, especially the 19th century forms of the story. There's a little bit of a moralistic tone where uh, you know it's an injunction not to um, get too drunk, um, but uh, and be careful of the demon drink that kind of thing. But um, 
it's it's very light-handed it's not it's it wouldn't be like a like a christian parable he's a he's a sort of um you know a devil may care care character and even the the the, the rogues that he encounters they're they're not um they're sort of semi-heroic figures there are certainly aspects there that are very common to different parts of folklore. The moralistic aspect, obviously, the the concept of of being led astray is very much tied in with um, you know fairy folklore in the southwest of the UK, for example, and the, the idea of being pixie led, which is which is exactly the same thing, but but relates more to to fairies than to something little larger and supernatural like the and it, 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 it's 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 quite humorous in the mm. especially in the 19th century it's um not um you know there's some people that are waylaid and it's it's quite sinister or they they step on a stray sod and they can't get home again or they lose their memory but with the puka um more more or less it's it's especially in if you're respectful respectful to him and um um you know, it's it's in Halloween, which is his his it's our sound. It's his it's his special period. Like that's when it's actually seen as, in some cases, be like a, a stroke of incredible luck to run into him. So he's um you know an ambivalent figure. And he was also used as as a bit of a bogeyman, I guess, at times as well to keep people away from places that that were perhaps dangerous. That's that sort of aspect as well. Yeah, certainly, and uh, like he would be. The, the funny thing was about the the references. Um, some uh, local politicians and um, people were saying that he was this pagan idol um, when they were talking about the statue. And it's ironic because, um, uh, like, you know, the word pagus is coming from um, rural, and that that very much is characteristic of those stories. That he's seen as this um, avatar of, I suppose, uncivilization, um, uh, savagery. Or, or just the, the the untamed aspect of 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 nature, and um, like it's not a whole a whole holy evil thing, but it's it's seen like a loss of control. So people are one the the idea is you if you venture out onto those boreens late night, uh, in, onto the unmapped territories, you know, strange things will happen to you. Mm. Uh, I, I know um, on the episode of folk, uh, Folklore Fragments that, that you spoke about this on, they certainly pulled a few um, pieces of oral history out, out of their archives as to hmm. how this figure was seen by by the Irish community, you know, years ago. Um, well, was... that was a real educa- education to me because, like, I would have been... I mean, typically when... The general reader, like myself, because you know I'm not folklorist, just a, an artist interested in the imagery. Um, I'd, I'd be reading the the kind of uh, the literary accounts, which are pre-digested in a sense. And the, the UCD collection there is really, um, you know, every man kind of recordings, people just telling stories their their grandfather told them. And it's well, you could see how disparate the the, the versions of it. Um, and how um, I mean, there was unifying themes, but like it did quite um, uh, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't have like a, a as typical a form as your average leprechaun story, if you know what I mean. Mm. But there was a genuine belief, for want of a better term, in 
aspects of the of the Puka story. The same is there is still a, a, quite a widespread belief in in parts of Ireland in um, the danger of disturbing the fairy folk, for example. I mean, e- even in the late twentieth, early twenty first century, there are still um, roads that are rerouted, aren't there, to avoid disturbing a piece of land which is associated with the fairies and so on. That belief is still really strong. It is is the kind of belief in in aspects of the Puka story not as strong as it used to be now, do you think? I would say it's just not generally known except for... It's, it would be more known in, in rural areas and definitely people who are interested in folklore would... Um, um, people like Eddie Lenham, the storyteller from from Clare, like he'd, he'd have a million and one stories about the Puka. Um, but uh, it's 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 kind of ambivalent because you know on the one hand, there'd hardly be anyone if you stopped them in in Ireland and said you believe in fairies who say, of course I do. But it's just there's a a sort of um, I don't know taboo or wariness about um, infringing on uh, like we have uh, sort of ring forts. In, in 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 most most farms they'll have like a place like we have in my family or my family's farm there's two or three um you know uh, tiny little copses on 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 a wood with maybe like stone circles or something in the middle of it and you just you just leave it alone is is the standard practice and i don't know it's it's i mean i i'd say if you stop the average person and said why are you doing that they say asher it's not good land or something like that but it's it wouldn't be the done thing i i don't know it's 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 an it's a strange thing because um on the one hand like ireland is very much um keen to uh, project itself as you know a fully signed up member of the modern world but at the same time like we do have this uh, uh quite it is it is more like a, a, a small population which most people will have a, a you know, some some quite quite close connection to the rural world, like uh, you know, country cousins or whatever. So it's it's kind of I would I'd say it's a bit like maybe England in you know, forty years ago or something like that, where um, you know, it's an increasingly modern or increasingly urban society, but there is there is still this connection, and then it's it's on the one hand, people long for it, they're romantic about it, and on the other hand. They're a little bit wary and a little bit suspicious about it. So it's 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 not I, like I wouldn't say people are misty eyed about um, uh, Irish folklore. There, some people are um, a little bit um, dismissive of it because they just see it as a, a kind of backward trait. But then it, it's it's just a strange thing. I, I'd say it's I, I, like I often do think it's it's um, comparable to the the. the British experience, you know, like in the, the late 1960s, early 1970s, um, you got this wave of English, great English folk horrors. And um, I think that was that was sort of uh, reflective of this kind of ambivalent feeling towards the, the, the rural, the rural um, life that so many people had left behind, both yearning and kind of wary of it. And uh, that's sort of very much uh, what the book is about, those, yeah. those, uh, those mixed feelings. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think you're right. I, th- I think there is, uh, I, I, there's actually still a case that, that nostalgia for that part of our social history is still 
very strong even in in many places now um i want to talk a little bit about the statue itself and the imagery in just a moment um before i do i know you said you have a couple of sources relating to the puka which which will, will perhaps help people to to see the, the the concept a little more clearly as well do you want to just run through those a second yeah well the the literary stories are very long but um some of the some of the accounts from the, the ucd archives are a bit shorter um and uh, they'll give you a flavor so here's one from this is um from it's called the puka killeen and it was told by a 12 year old um donegal girl and it's about a late night encounter um so it goes like in the parish of Inver, years gone by, there was a strange animal going about from place to place. It was known as the Puka Killeen. It was in the shape of a young foal and ran about the road, roaring and frightening people when it was dark. It came from the Binban lot and down through the Killeen and down through Ballyn Michael. It went back through um, Trim Fatlin and onto the top of the Killeen, where it let three loud roars, which could be heard throughout the parish. These roars shook the houses in the district and the delf rattled in the dressers. Everyone was afraid to venture out after night. The old people barred and bolted their doors and young people were kept indoors after the going down of the sun for fear of having the misfortune of meeting the puka. All people who had business, the market towns, made up their minds to be home before dark. One man from this district happened to be enjoying himself in Donegal town. He stopped late and was coming home from after dark. He had the misfortune of meeting the puka. It followed him for a mile along the road. He described the puka as being in the shape of a young foal. This foal followed him with his mouth opened, ready to eat him. But he ran to the house and got to safety. Any other person out after night met with the same fate. A poor, and then a poor unlucky girl happened to be delayed in Donegal selling her butter and eggs. She met the puka on the way home. She dropped her basket and ran to a house. The puka almost overtook her and she fell fainting at the door. The people of the house took her in. A priest was there, staying in the same house. He went out and met the puka and drove it away again to the lock. It was never heard of or seen anymore. So that ended the puka killing. So that's, um, you know, uh, that's, that's it's, it's kind of a haunting, that story, um, as opposed to just this fella who's um, always there. There's other stories um, where... He's more he's more um, a three dimensional character, like a, who, who speaks to people but, um, and takes them on his journey. And there's a bit of a sphinx like um, interaction with the character. But um, that would be that's that's from Donegal. And you'll find um, I mean, which is, as, as is typical, you'll find that the accounts of um, the Puka and much and the accounts of the Banshee, they kind of as you go from the west of Ireland, which was the, I guess, the part of Ireland that was speaking Gaelic the longest. Um, you'll find more more stories there, and as you come towards towards Dublin, you know the the, the civic centre, the kind of um, the folk tales are forgotten and they die out. So, for example, like looking in the archive, um, Mayo has seventy six versions of the Puka story. Clare has forty six, and Kilkenny has eight. And I mean, Dublin probably doesn't um, probably only has a handful. So that, but um, and then like the the funny thing is, as you get further away and you, the places where the puka stories are thickest, they'll be quite diverse. The puka stories. Now, stories like this are obviously um are really useful to you as an artist in in visualizing how this creature 
could appear, has appeared, how people have described it in the past. Um, I will make sure that uh, the website page for this episode and the social media includes um, images of your rendering of the puka so oh, that you. people people can um can uh make sense of, of of the whole aspect of of the controversy that surrounded your um statue just describe how you have rendered this figure and why what aspects of the folklore you've drawn on and why those resonated with you when you put this together well, my, my, my rendering would be a, um, an idiosyncratic version of it. Um, the, the Irish visual tradition would not be at all as strong as the literary tradition um, or music. Um, like there, there's great Irish artists, great Irish sculptors, but, um, you know, it's, it's, Ireland is very much a, a literary musical um, culture. And so um, the, the, the visualizations of, the, of those figures they, there, there wouldn't necessarily be like a an iconic version of it, but but nevertheless, like he is described as uh, you know a, a black horse or a black dog or a pig. But the trouble is, like in the stories, it's like a horse speaking to you, um, and he's maybe got blazing eyes, or he's a little bit larger than an average horse, or he runs like you know can run on the air. But he basically is still a horse. So the trouble is, if you if I sat down to sculpt a horse it would just look like a horse you know um not and not having any it wouldn't necessarily be um clear to somebody that there was something out of the odd with this so my version of the puka is a um like a man with a horse's head um so kind of like a you know the cent the centaur the greek version is the the horse's body so mine is like an irish centaur it's everything's upside down but i guess um i was uh Maybe subconsciously influenced by Shakespeare's bottom, the the fellow with the ass's head, or the, the you know the Welsh the Welsh tradition of the I forget the name, but um like this kind of um uh, trick or treat kind of thing in in Wales where people get a a horse's skull and go yes. about with a sheet over it. The Mary Fluid. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, maybe maybe from that because it's such an uncanny figure. You have this human figure or human sized figure, and then the a gigantic horse's head. And I really um, push that to complete extremes. So the, the horse's head is absolutely massive. The, the body is quite, um, you know, stylized and um, uh, uh, exaggerated. And he's, he's dancing a jig, kind of like on one, standing on one foot, um, perilously ba- balanced. Because, um, you know, Claire is um, famous for its rigs and jeels and the Kilfenori band. They're, they're all about the music there. And the idea is he's he's kind of got one foot um, popped up in the air. And the idea was that um, people coming by in Ennis Diamond, they can rub the foot and he'll grant them a wish if, if he likes to look at them, you know. And I mean, I've, I've, I've got the image in front of me just as a point of reference while we're talking about this. And you know, with, with the best will in the world, I can't think of a particular way in which I could describe it as being demonic looking or or evil or any of those things he certainly looks tired with his tongue hanging out on one side from all that dancing you know a little bit kind of um crazed by the music perhaps might be as far as i went i mean that that's it it's it's crazed it's um well you know that that mention in the story about the the fold following your man with the mouth open like it's yeah. it's a it's an it's a crazy image 
And the, in, in, the thing I like about um, the folk tales is these little um, utterly surreal little touches. And um, that's that sort of mania, that, um, that kind of uh, barbaric exuberance is, is what I wanted to capture with the sculpture. Because I think it's what, um, what's, what's so vital about these, th this folk tradition. It's 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 not um you know it's not a top down tradition it's not somebody carefully uh, uh, constructing something it's it's you know it's it's as wild as um, traditional Irish music it's you know it's got like a, a savagery to it and so that's that that is the personality of the, the sculpture it's like a wild horse or something but that that is a you know it's an intense thing to see like a wild horse or a wild animal it's it's a little bit scary like even if we you know, think we have it under control. There's always the element of um, danger there, and um, it's it, like it's not it's not like a, a pretty statue of a smiling a smiling person or a, like a musician or something like that, which I guess would be more typical for these kind of public commissions. Um, and I, I think the the county council was um, very brave and I guess forward looking to to commission it, but unfortunately, it um, it kind of has ran aground with. Um, the, the the protests and we'll see if it we'll see if it ever sees um, the light of day in um, in Ennis Diamond or not. If it doesn't, what is likely to happen to it? Well, I I don't know. I mean, it's the after after some after the the delay over summer, the county council um you know decided to put it to bed after the controversy arose because it was quite unusual because um there's a you know, there's a, a procedure to how a, a sculpture is commissioned. There's a there's a brief. It's publicly tendered. Um, artists apply for it. They um, uh, put in drawings and stuff, and like all of that. And then it's uh, adjudicated by a representative committee with a local artist, um, local um, uh, authorities, um, people on from the county council, and then uh, there's a shortlist and budgets are approved and all the rest. So it's very, you know, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a tried and tested method. And uh, that was that happened this time last year. And, you know, I, I, I won the commission, set to work on it. Um, but then, um, you know, things ran aground. I think the, the Puka was working behind the scenes to cause some <laughs> mischief because it just, it just um, it's this kind of uh, fuss erupted. And as you know, obviously 2021 is the, the year of controversial statues so maybe there was something in the air um but fun usually it's it's a sculpture that's standing that causes the problems mm -hmm. and people want to rip it down but um in my case it was just a sculpture that has not been cast yet because in w with these bronze sculptures you're making it in clay and then there's a whole process where you go into the foundry and it's you know quite expensive for you um make it in bronze but my my i got to the stage of making the mold of the statue and that mold is waiting in the foundry for the green light which um hasn't happened for the for the last couple of months and unfortunately um the part of the the reason for the pause was just to let um things die down because you know with the lockdown the, the people in in uh in uh clare are just eager to get the county um up and up and running again for the summer and trying to trying to get some um some kind of tourist season out of it and obviously they didn't want to uh, g jump prematurely back into this kind of thing and in fairness there was um there was uh, people who were opposed to it some of the people who um uh, 
you know, there, like there was a person whose shop was right beside where the sculpture was being. Um, I don't know if she was uh, not too happy about it. So, um, I mean, it's it wouldn't be right just to, you know, railroad over and per, and per, proceed with it without um, dealing with people's complaints. But then with all the um, other things coming out, like the stories and songs and uh, um, newspaper stories and uh, um, like when the story broke, um, people like Darrow Breen and um, uh, Maeve O'Higgins and Chris O'Dowd tweeted about it and that kind of, like they, they were like supportive of it and then that kind of um, brought the story to um, more national attention than it would have, like it, I think it would have been just a, a silly season story mm-hmm. um, in May when it happened, but then it kind of uh, took on extra life. But the, the one good aspect of it is that um, the puka is now back in the, the Irish firmament of of folklore characters, so absolutely. If it doesn't go ahead in Ennis Diamond, that, that's an it's it's an open question at the moment. Like, but there have been offers from other towns in Ireland and uh, uh, like two mu- two reputable um, museums in Ireland have uh, said said they'd have it. But I'm, I'm still optimistic, maybe blindly optimistic, that we can we can um, go forward and somehow figure out some compromise, like maybe relocating it into town because it would be it's a beautiful town, but Unfortunately, it's been a bit of a traffic uh, nightmare. And so people coming to Clare to see the Cliffs of Moor or La Hinch or whatever, they, they would bypass it. But um, And that's a real shame because it's a, it's a lovely um, town that, you know, would be, they'd, they'd spend a profitable few hours there. Um, but the idea was to get something that would catch, capture people's attention and bring it to it. And I, I mean, I think if nothing else, the hookah has captured people's attention. Oh, most definitely. Um, and, and there has been some, been some real high profile support there, as you say, because I think um, Dara O'Brien, I think, said that he, he has some of your work anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 so was very supportive. No, that was nice. It was, it was lovely to hear it. But the trouble is, I mean, in uh, like the headlines are nice and all that. But, you know, in three years time, who's going to remember it? Um, because like for me as a working sculptor like getting a public piece two meters tall cast i mean that's like the super bowl so and like i put my um you know blood sweat and tears into making this thing and it is a good sculpture so um uh, i just i just hope we get cast somewhere and um it it has a happy happy resolution I, I think it's inevitable that it will get cast somewhere, whether that's in the original location or somewhere else perhaps remains to be seen. But I think there's been enough interest generated in it that it it will inevitably happen at some point. Is it ironic, though, this whole thing? It's, if, it, if it hadn't have been declaimed from the pulpit in the first place, would any of this publicity happened? Yeah, it captured people's imagination because it's a kind of good, good headline. Um, but it was it wasn't just that there was um obviously the story was more complicated than the headline um made out but in fairness though there there was like um stories in the the Irish Catholic newspapers with people saying the, the priest was dead right to do what he did um but yeah that that did bring it to um the national for national national uh, interest but um then I think at at the time there was there was also um, a lot of stories about controversial statues, and so it fit into that. 
Yeah, I, I think as I said at the beginning, what what it has also done though is it, it's it's put a spotlight on Irish folklore as well, which is a really positive thing. Um, do you think that you'll work in that field again with some of your future sculpting? Is it an area that you draw on again? Well, yes. I mean, maybe it's utterly foolhardy, but um, no, really, because uh, when when I was making this tapuka was one of the most enjoyable experiences of my life because it 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 was everything i like in a sculpture it's kind of a it has an element of humor it it has it's has that kind of animal man hybrid kind of stuff which is characteristic of other sculptures that i've made and you know it was on a large scale so i really i really did enjoy it and yeah i'm at the moment doing um uh, a couple of other little pieces based on irish folklore one about uh, King Lowry, the, the he's like he's like a King Midas figure who's got you know donkey's ears and he his barber cuts his hair and he um, reveals his terrible secrets. So I'm doing that, but um, yeah, I mean it's very it's a, a very rich tradition with um, a lot of really strange vivid images and it's just researching them because with a sculpture you can't tell you can't do a, like a, a complicated narrative like with uh, you know three acts it's just some kind of iconic image and it's finding that and i mean like Brit- britain has um great characters uh, that are have that kind of iconic uh iconic quality like the wicker man or whatever but um it's yeah it's just um it's a yeah it's a rich field and i intend to keep plowing it and you're fortunate as well i guess because ireland has the best uh kind of reputation for collecting and archiving these stories as well the the um you know the folklore archives at, at ucd as you were saying places like that yeah. it's, it's, it's it's unbelievable it's yeah. really like i mean I, I can imagine like someone like you being have you visited the, the archive i've not had the opportunity yet no i mean it's just such a like it's it's exactly as you imagine like uh everything's kind, kind of got a layer of layer of dust and mystery to it and they've got such a, a strange collection there it's really really rich but um like ireland is um i mean obviously because i'm from here so i didn't realize how um how unusual it was but just simply because ireland never had the romans in a sense we've had this kind of continuity that almost everywhere else has been a little bit interrupted and obviously um britain has a very vital uh, folk um, memory but it's it's necessarily um conflicted by having this the, the roman intervention and but i mean you obviously um britain has more like i guess a, a a longer literary tradition and in ireland um the folk tradition would be mediated by monks and um, so doing their version of it but yeah the the irish folklore collection they um it dates back from like uh the 1920s to the 1950s, um, as the, the Irish state was founded, the, I mean, they didn't. They made many mistakes, but one, one thing they did was they they said this tradition is is dying fast, or is you know it's on its last legs, and let's let's go out there and start recording. So initially, they started just you know tran- transcribing um, old people's stories and then uh, recording it on Edison kind of. Um, editing recording device and it's it's all it's all there it's it, it's um like it would take a lifetime to get to the bottom of it. but it's great because they've recently digitized it so if you want to ask um research any aspect of 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 um folklore in an irish context you know if you google 
um, or if you go in, in onto their um, their their site and look up, I don't know, Midsummer or something like that, you can find all the stories and you can find where they're from. So you can kind of track how they change region to region. It is a, a, a marvelous collection and and one that I would encourage anyone to to have a look at. Just even if they're not researching for anything in particular, just just for interest in the stories, the, there's a lot there. Uh, we'll wrap it up there, Aidan. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk about um, this project. If people want to find out more about your other projects, have you got an online presence that you would like them to visit? Yeah, well, um, uh, my website, AidenHart.com or AidenHartSculptor on Instagram. Um, yeah, then they can see my work there. Fantastic. I will link to that place on the website page for this episode so people can go and have a look. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. All right, take care. My thanks to Aiden for bringing this story to the podcast and for the discussion of the puka. By way of balance, we'll end this episode in just a moment with the protest song which was written against this statue, mentioned in the interview, and which is included by kind permission of musician Ender Harron. You can find links to Ender's work on the Folklore Podcast website page for this episode also. The Folklore Podcast is part of the Folklore Network, a collaboration with the remit of collecting and preserving for the future material relating to our beliefs, traditions and customs. To help to support our vital work from just a pound a month, in return for extra rewards and content, please visit www.patreon.com slash thefolklorepodcast. You can also make a one-off donation via our website. Whatever you choose to do, please share our content as widely as possible to give access to this material to even more people. Thank you. Now, here to close is Ender Harron's take on the story of the Puka of Ennis Diamond. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. One, two, three, four.
just down the street I dreamt his name was Luca He asked me, pray, can you show the way At the end of time and Luca I said, till we reach Churchill Found them this might spook ya He took one look and then up he took Shouting back with Fuka And he shouting back with Fuka Oh, I've been to the river in the woods A place to die with Fuka My worst nightmare I cannot compare Yes, I'm in Fuka Oh, yes, I'm in Fuka Go back to a stable 